Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Florida Politics, powered by Gannett. Marco Rubio and Val Demings trade barbs in their first and only U.S. Senate debate. Governor Ron DeSantis gets back out on the campaign trail after a three-week pause because of Hurricane Ian. And attention turns to the debate between DeSantis and Charlie Chris next week. Hello, I'm Sarasota Herd Tribune political editor Zach Anderson. And those are some of the stories I'll be discussing this week with Gannett State Capitol reporter John Kennedy and Palm Beach Post politics editor Antonio Finns. First... Well, that music means it's time for some numbers. Gentlemen, this is our second to last podcast before the election. A lot of numbers out there. I know you got some good ones for us today. How about you, Antonio? Hey, I got uh, very much an election related 289,036. Okay. How about you, John? <laughs> yeah, Zach, I'm keeping it simple. My number this week is 36. I have you both beat. My number is 947,736. Um, so 947,700 more than John today. Remember those numbers, folks. Uh, we'll tell you what they mean in Florida politics at the end of the show. Well, the word liar was thrown out a few times Tuesday as Rubio and Demings met on the debate stage. And it wasn't the only tough talk as the candidates engaged in a high energy contest that often saw them aggressive and eager to mix it up. They hammered each other on abortion, inflation, immigration, and a bunch of other issues. Antonio, you were there live and in person for the debate. What are some of your takeaways? Well, first of all, I can tell you that in addition to liar, I also had Marxist, socialist, crazy, and the free space to give me the bingo. So I won that night. Look, uh, let's start with the with the incumbent Rubio. We, we saw why Rubio has for decades been one of the most popular Republicans in Florida and, and also nationally. Uh, he is prepared, has mastery of policy wonkish stuff. And and is able to tie the nuances and policies to the bigger picture. Yeah, Antonio, I thought Rubio was pretty light on his feet. You know, he, he came with a, quite a bit of energy there. You know, he needed to, it, it seemed like, uh, you know, Demings was going to come at him and that, you know, obviously the polls have shown him up and that, um, you know, that, that she had to make a move here. And, and he seemed to be able to kind of uh, fend her off for the most part. Yeah, look, and a perfect example was the whole discussion of oil policy and surging gasoline costs, where he tied it to the, the decrease in U.S. production and then also brought up the the, the uh, surcharge that Democrats have supported on gasoline, which, by the way, on, on petroleum, which, by the way, is related to climate change efforts. But, you know, we, we but we also, Zach, saw a bit of why he's out of step with today's Florida Republican Party, uh, which is led by the on and then off bromance between former President Trump and Governor Ron DeSantis. Uh, the, the two have veered, if not careened, the party to the hard right, and Rubio really isn't there. A as you reported, Zach, you know, he, he sidestepped and then swatted away that question about his support or not for Rick Scott's plan to end federal programs like Social Security and Medicare if Congress doesn't re-up them every five years. Uh, Rubio didn't want any part of that discussion. Look, as for Demings, she clearly is not as familiar to Florida voters as Rubio, but debate watchers got to see the same Val Demings we've been seeing on the campaign trail, passionate and all in on this contest. 
and not shy to call out Rubio on the issue. She had a few moments, didn't she? I mean, especially on that gun issue where she turned to him and and was wagging her finger and really spoke to him directly and emotionally about the toll that, um, you know, the, the, the school shootings have had and, and accused him of doing nothing to, to stop them. Yeah. And then also on the abortion issue where she kind of kept hammering away at this idea of, you know, the, the, his credibility and looking back even at the Supreme Court nomination process and, and whatnot. But but we also saw kind of her Achilles heel of sorts in that in making her case, I think, you know, she kind of left a lot of opportunities on the table when Rubio criticized federal spending. She could have pointed out how the federal dollars from the bipartisan infrastructure legislation are benefiting, benefiting Florida. And she could have pointed out how DeSantis has taken all those Biden bucks and doled out bonuses to teachers and first responders, as John and you and others have pointed out. Uh, same for her jousting with, with Rubio on climate change. Part of the legislation that was done over the summer addressed some of the climate change issues. So that being said, look, no one's perfect. And Tuesday's debate, if nothing else, showed Floridians that they have two very different options to choose from them on November 8th. And two candidates who, I mean, for the most part, what did you think? Did they both seem pretty prepared and in command of the issues? Yeah, I, I think not only that, but I think they both came in with their strategies. And I think that, you know, from Rubio's standpoint, it was, you know, let me show why I'm experienced, why I should be, you know, uh, back on as chairman of the Intelligence Committee if, you know, the Republicans take back the Senate. And at the same time, I think, you know, uh, Demings came in, you know, knowing what her game plan was to try to close the gap with with Rubio and, and going after credibility, the credibility issue. And and can you really trust this guy? But by the way, has been in some quarters of the GOP base, particularly the, the more Trumpist corners, you know, he, he's kind of viewed with some suspicious. So and they, they don't they don't give him the same loop, you know, kind of bear hug that. They give DeSantis and Trump. So I, I think she was really trying to go after his credibility and, and she did land, land some blows. And what, what do you think about closing that gap? You know, a, a poll show Rubio in the lead. Demi's she did bring some energy. Uh, she had some moments, like I said, on guns and, and some other things. But she, it didn't seem like Rubio was there was re, like a real moment where she really tripped him up like Chris Christie did during one of the presidential debates. Did she? No, she didn't. And, you know, the other thing, too, is like at the end of the day, you know, I, I, this comes down to voter turnout. And you look at this state numerically, and it's, it favors uh, you know, Rubio. Also, the economic trends and the inflation trend also favors Republicans in general. So, you know, she's got an uphill climb. For sure. Well, while Rubio and Demings were mixing it up, Governor Ron DeSantis was venturing back out on the campaign trail. He held four campaign events last weekend, including rallies in Tampa, the Villages, and South Florida, and an appearance at Biketoberfest in Daytona Beach. They appear to be the first campaign events since Ian began threatening the state three weeks ago. John, it looks like that Ian campaign pause is officially over and it's all hands on deck, really, uh, for this final sprint to Election Day. Well, it does look like the governor is going to do some conventional campaigning before Election Day, as as you wrote about last weekend during these stops. But, but you know, when is he not campaigning? Uh, just as during at least his last two years as governor, he's turned every public appearance lately into an opportunity to, uh, you know, jab at the Biden administration over COVID policy, immigration, culture war issues and inflation. And now he's uh, starting to use his Hurricane Ian news conferences, which we've seen for the last three weeks, as uh, something of a stage for touting just how amazing he considers himself and his state's recovery response. Um 
DeSantis talks about how this kind of recovery, uh, bridge building at Sanibel and Pine Islands, uh, power restoration, all that goes into this horrible uh, try to, you know, rebuild that has been forced by Hurricane Ian. Well, you know, in his own words, he talks about how it would be impossible in other states because of their bureaucracy. Uh, you know, no doubt he is meaning blue states when it comes to that. Um, and the governor has flanked himself by agency appointees who repeatedly praise him for his leadership and uh, also building on the impression that, you know, without DeSantis, state government would just be flailing about after the hurricane, unable to do, really do anything. So, so you, you think know, he's, I, he's really used these official governor's campaign uh, press conferences as, as sort of a de facto campaigning? Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, he's getting a message across. He's getting a message across of, you know, efficiency in command, uh, a leader that, you know, you can trust. Um, you know, admittedly, in, in this uh, hurricane recovery, things have gone pretty well. But, you know, some of the claims that seem to be made are things that you can't really quantify. You know, uh, they're, they're finishing uh, the bridge to Sanibel, they said, uh, three weeks early, three weeks ahead of schedule. Well, they created a schedule that uh, was perhaps, uh, you know, yeah. targeting a, a specific <laughs> date. But yeah, you don't know. You know, I, I don't know if uh, if this that's, kind that's of politics uh, 101, right? Create uh, low expectations and then beat them. <laughs> oh, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, but meanwhile, I guess he gets the message across to listeners that, you know, we are doing so well. I guess if you if if you say it enough that you're ahead of schedule and you are doing things that have never been done before, People will believe you and become convinced that it's only you that saved us. So, uh, you know, no surprise, his public appearances have really been campaign appearances, too. But um, but, yeah, you know, stopping to make speeches at Republican friendly places like the Villages, uh, Coral Springs in Broward County and, uh, you know, Biketoberfest in Volusia County. Well, that's, that's a good way to get your campaign going in a traditional way. And uh, of course, his advertising has continued almost nonstop during the post-Hurricane Ian period. He's he's probably pretty close to the pace he was in mid-September when the Wesleyan Media Project reported that DeSantis was 15 to 1 more than Christ in broadcast advertising totals. And he was also dominating social media platforms. So, so yeah, you know, DeSantis is campaigning again, but I guess, did it ever really stop? But it's uh, also true that the hurricane recovery effort has given the governor another generally positive stage that the Democrat, Charlie Crist, he can't take. And uh, that is compounding this uh, this mismatch in messaging. Yeah, I, I was kind of wondering, though, if he would get back on sort of the traditional campaign trail after Hurricane Ian, because after Hurricane Michael hit in 2018, I think Rick Scott basically just did hurricane recovery uh, efforts, didn't he? I mean, I don't remember him really getting back uh, uh, to traditional campaigning, maybe, maybe a little bit. But, you know, uh, when you can sort of be that leader who's helping a community uh, during a time of need. That's about as good as a campaign um, ad as you could could get. But I think DeSantis wants it. It's different. Michael hit closer to the election. Um, you know, Ian was, uh, you know, a little bit farther out. But I also think DeSantis wants it. I, I think he wants these these rallies, these these big uh, rah, rah, rah events where he can get uh, these crowds and sort of, you know, flex his strength within the GOP and and uh, get like uh, some big events that, that you know, they're not like Trump size rallies, but they're they're pretty big rallies for any any uh, candidate. What do you think, John? I mean, it, yeah. you think that he wants to kind of have that home stretch big 
campaign uh, kind of push that he didn't really get in 2018. You know, he was not as well known of a figure, not nearly as popular. I remember going to some campaign rallies where there were very few people this time around. He's really got the ability to command these big crowds. Yeah. And that, that I think is important. And uh, you, you're reporting this past weekend. You you mentioned that about how he is uh, one of his, uh, you know, throwaway lines on the campaign stage was about how he is expecting a bigger than ever turnout this year. Uh, or words to that effect on the Republican side anyway. So I think what we're seeing is DeSantis uh, does want to make this a resounding victory. You know, when you look at it, for a guy that has presidential aspirations, it's going to look good for him to really be popular, you know, from a voter point of view in his home state. So he doesn't want to eke into victory this time around like he did four years ago with a 30,000 something uh, vote margin and, uh, you know, a recount. He wants to really clobber Charlie Crist. Now, polls that we've seen so far don't really point to a complete clobbering, but it sure does look like DeSantis is going to win easily. But, you know, how much does DeSantis want to win by? I suppose if he wins by 5% or more, um, you know, that would be something that would show, uh, you, know, you know, amazing uh, strength and uh, uh, be, be a, a candidate to, to reckon with maybe on the national campaign stage. Um, so I, th- I think that those are the kind of uh, uh, events, uh, the, the fact that DeSantis is doing these Biketoberfests and, uh, you know, Broward County Republican base uh, uh, appearances. Um, I think that's all about trying to keep people interested and make sure that his voters do vote because, uh, you know, there is always the concern that, uh, well, you know, if people think he's going to win, well, maybe don't bother or whatever. And a midterm election anyway is uh, is always a tough thing to draw people out at. Uh, it, it doesn't quite have the same, you know, oomph that the, uh, the, the, the presidential elections do when it comes to, uh, you know, massive voter turnout. But DeSantis wants to see a massive voter turnout in his favor this year. I think you're right, John. I think there's a lot of positioning here um, to carry this uh, campaign uh, into the next campaign uh, and into a potential presidential campaign. And that just doesn't mean uh, having good uh, results and having you know a strong turnout and um, you know trying to win by a big margin. But I also think it's the visuals. You know, having those visuals where you you look triumphant in the final stretch here and having these big rallies. I think. Um, you know, helps him as well. So um, we'll we'll see what he's able to muster in the last couple of weeks here. With Florida's U.S. Senate debate out of the way, attention in the political world now turns to the matchup next week between DeSantis and Chris. Monday's debate was postponed because of Hurricane Ian and now will be held just two weeks from Election Day. Antonio, what should we watch in for uh, next week when DeSantis and Chris go head to head? Well, you know, John just mentioned the polls and the surveys. So let's let's pick it up right there. And, I, and the polls and voter surveys are correct. The decisive issue in this election is going to be the economy. So I am looking at whether DeSantis continues to own the economic narrative as he has for two years with the free Florida brand and and arguing that he kept the economy open, or can Charlie Chris flip the script to start closing the gap on the governor? Let me explain. You know, gasoline prices are on the rise again with fuel prices in Florida increasing seven cents in the past week and by more than 20 cents in the past few weeks. And, you know, last week, the consumer pricing index showed another national spike in prices for goods. DeSantis and national Republicans, in fact, have successfully pinned inflation on Biden, particularly on the massive spending, they say, in the American Rescue Act, the infrastructure legislation, and this year's you know, Build Back Better program. Okay, but at the same time, as you and John have reported, DeSantis has been more than willing to take the federal largesse 
from these democratic initiatives and use those dollars to pay for bonuses for teachers and first responders, as well as to bloat Florida's budget to record heights. He's, so he, he's done quite a bit to flow dollars into the consumer marketplace. And if the federal spending is so much a contribute to inflation, why has DeSantis spent it so freely? Why did he do, as Rick Scott suggested last year, just give the money back or reject it? Look, another point on the economy that I think Democrats have sort of not talked about and maybe claim as, a, as, a, as an achievement is that Florida and counties across the state have posted record low unemployment this year. And, and third, we have labor shortages. Across the state, employers continue to struggle to hire workers. And here we have the governor continue to decry the poorest border and send Venezuelan asylum seekers off to Martha's Vineyard rather than supporting a process to relocate some immigrants here where they are needed in the workforce. Look, if the polls are correct, Democrats in Florida are poised to take another beating and to do so in large part because of voter dissatisfaction with rising prices and overall economic frustration. So the question is, will Chris fight back and do so effectively on this all-important and seemingly determinative issue in his only mano a mano with governor. And if he does it, it might be lights out from here if it's not already. What do you think, John? I mean, DeSantis is looking pretty strong in the final stretch here. What do you what do you think his dis- debate strategy is going to be? He hasn't really moderated in the general election. He's still hitting, you know, some of these culture war issues uh, pretty hard. It seems like he's really just trying to to turn out his base. Do you expect more of that here? Yeah, I'm, I'm not too sure about hitting the uh, cultural uh, buttons uh, during this debate. Uh, I would think that DeSantis would want to just keep repeating, you know, the successes of his four years as governor in, in very broad terms, you know, kind of focus more on how he's pushed up per pupil funding, uh, you know, given more than $1.2 billion in mostly consumer-friendly tax breaks this year. He's significantly increased pay for teachers and critical law enforcement. Um, you know, he's put more than a billion dollars into trying to improve Florida's environment and waterways. And 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 he's led through crises, you know, like COVID-19, Surfside, and now Hurricane Eden. Um, yeah, I'd stay away from the cold, calculating, heartless things he's done, you know, like like arresting felons trying to rebuild their lives or voting illegally. But, but you know, when they were actually given valid voting cards by election officials and locals who screwed up and issued them or by trafficking migrants from Texas to Martha's Vineyard through a through a trick and a misuse of state funds. Uh, you know, th- those are things that, did, you know, Charlie Crist will raise these points. And uh, Crist also is going to be relentless on abortion, pushing and prodding the governor for having signed a ban on abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy without exceptions. And DeSantis refuses to detail what he wants next. Uh, now that the United States Supreme Court has given states full control over abortion policy, uh, Crist is going to go at him on this over and over again on Monday night. But, uh, you know, from a strategy point of view, uh, DeSantis should not provide uh, specifics. Uh, This is the subject of a story uh, our colleague Catherine Varn and I uh, have worked on and are reporting in this weekend's papers in Florida that that DeSantis has just managed to, uh, you know, avoid and sidestep talk of what many think is his plan to come back with a stricter limit banning most abortions after six weeks of pregnancy next year. Um, but I'm no debate strategist, but I think this debate won't be a time for him to uh, put that idea in play. Krista uh, and the Democrats nationally uh, have tried to make this election all about abortion following the Supreme Court's ruling. But uh, Republicans have managed to 
redirect this uh, election narrative, as Antonio was pointing out, to talk of the economy, gas prices, and uh, of course, border security. That's a, a tried and true campaign tactic for Republicans. Um, frankly, though, I, I, I don't think DeSantis really has to go national in this debate. Uh, the governor has generally strong approval ratings right now among Floridians, polls show. Uh, so I don't think he, uh, he he doesn't need to sound too much like a Trumpy Republican, but he's probably safe and smart to inject some things like uh, that, that that do appeal to that base. Th things like, you know, comparing what he thinks is the efficiency and strength of Florida's economy. Uh, some of it, of course, helped by that federal money that uh, he doesn't like to acknowledge. Um, and but it is something that the uh, the state's economy may look better compared to the national economy. Uh, he's going to say that Florida is an economic Shangri-La, but but look at inflation at the national level. That'll that, that'll pump up his conservative base. Um, so, you know, just as he kind of touts his own exceptionalism in uh, getting southwest Florida slightly back after Ian, uh, he can, you know, reuse his frequent talking point about how so many people have chosen to come to the free state of Florida, as he likes to call it. Um, you know, again, I'm no debate strategist, but I, uh, I'll i bet he won't mention the 82,000 deaths that we've experienced from COVID, a high number, some think, that may be linked to his downplaying vaccines and demanding full opening, even when the disease was surging. Um, but all told, the, the governor's got a lead in the polls over Christ, and uh, he can afford to run down the clock in, in this debate. Well, one thing that I think is interesting about this debate in the governor's race versus the Senate race is that uh, DeSantis doesn't really have that much experience debating. You know, he didn't uh, debate that much, uh, you know, heading, uh, you know, previously in, in his past uh, race for governor. And, um, you know, you look at Charlie Crist and the guy's been debating uh, for the better the better part of the last 20 years in, in various uh, elections and races. DeSantis also really hasn't been pushed uh, for an extended period, um, you know, in, in sort of a confrontational way. I mean, he takes questions at his news conferences, but those are usually don't last too long. And uh, he doesn't do extended interviews with mainstream uh, media. So it'll be really interesting to see if he's really uh, pushed on some of his positions, you know, uh, and he is forced to defend some of his positions, how comfortable he is at doing that. He's become a lot more comfortable at public speaking. I mean, he does tons of news conferences and all these things, and, and he's become much more polished in terms of, uh, you know, how he delivers his message. And he's he stays on message. Um, but can can Chris knock him off message? Can, um, you know, does, does he get uh, some questions that he's not prepared for? That, it'll be interesting to watch. I think for the most part, um, his time in governor and, and the amount of public appearances that he's done has probably prepared him pretty well for this, but he's a little bit more of a wild card than somebody like Rubio, who has a lot more experience uh, debating. So I think this his debate performance will be pretty interesting uh, to watch. Well, we'll move on to some numbers here. Uh, Antonio, you want to tell us about yours? Yeah, I got 289,036, and that is the number of no party affiliated or independent voters in Palm Beach County. Our Cracker Jack political reporter, Steffi Matat, did a sort of a number diving and came up with kind of this interesting uh, trend that here taking place in this county. Look, we've talked a lot of, on this podcast about Florida getting redder with the surge in Republican voter registrations that gives the GOP a big advantage over Democrats in this year's base versus base tail of the tape. In Palm Beach County, uh, which has long been a blue county, Stephanie found that the trend toward MPAs 
is making this Democratic bastion a lot more purple. In fact, MPA voters now rank second in the county, slightly ahead of Republicans, but about 100,000 voters behind Democrats. Here's the thing. The county's population has only grown by 0.4% in the time this, tre this trend toward uh, independent voter registrations has taken place. So what accounts for the shift? Well, some 32,000 former Democrats have gone NPA. So here in this longtime bedrock blue county, Democrats seem to have another task besides getting their voters to the polls. It appears they also have to persuade some of their former fellow rank and file Democrats to stick with their former party's candidates. So another task for Demings and Crist uh, in, in trying to close the gaps with Rubio and uh, DeSantis. Yeah, definitely a changing electorate out there that complicates things for the um, parties. John, you want to tell us about your numbers? Yeah, Zach, uh, I'm here with another history lesson. And my, my 36 is the number of years since Democrats completely controlled Florida state government. That's the position that Florida Republicans uh, polls show almost certainly will be in when this election season is finished. Uh, if, if Governor DeSantis is reelected and Republican Wilton Simpson as expected, wins the race for the agriculture commissioner's seat on the cabinet that is being vacated by Democrat Nikki Freed after her own loss to Charlie Crist in that party's uh, primary for governor. Well, it's going to be Republicans in charge of everything, assuming Attorney General Ashley Moody and Chief Financial Officer Jimmy Petronas are reelected uh, again, as expected. Um, in, in a state where uh, the, the registered voter numbers are still close between Democrats and Republicans, Democrats have virtually no influence in state government. Uh, you know, in my many years of covering Florida government and politics, I've had a I've had a ringside seat to watching this erosion, recalling how it was uh, the election of Republican Governor Bob Martinez in 1986 that interrupted what had been an almost unbroken Democratic control of state government since the uh, Reconstruction era following the Civil War. There, there was Claude Kirk, like Martinez, who be, was a one-term Republican governor in the late 1960s. But um, in, in, at that time, Democrats grabbed back complete control after him and, and retained it then for a, another a decade and a half. Um, Martinez, in the late 1980s, had, had an all-Democratic cabinet and a Democratic-dominated legislature to deal with. And of course, that contributed to him being a one-term governor. But even under Martinez, the sea change in Florida was taking place. You had Republicans Jim Smith and Tom Gallagher elected to cabinet posts in 1988, and that began the turning point. Now, this all-Republican command of state government soon to be installed is is not really new. We, we've seen it before recently when it was all Republican from 2011 to 2019. But, but during those wilderness years for Democrats, they at least had Bill Nelson as a Florida Democrat in the United States Senate. But Nelson was defeated by Republican Rick Scott in 2018. That was the same year that Freed was elected to the cabinet. And she took his place as Florida's lone elected statewide Democrat. But now, without Freed, um, you know, really, there's go not going to be a single Democrat that can make that claim if the November elections go as polling suggests they will. And Republican Marco Rubio keeps his U.S. Senate seat in his race with uh, Democrat Val Demings. Uh, you know, wh where do they go from here? There's going to be 
analysis for Democrats, no doubt of how pitiful a showing it's been for the party this election season. You know, what went wrong? Was it, was it all Joe Biden's fault? Uh, why didn't Democrats better recruit and support candidates? You know, how the, the, the National Party has done little to nothing to help its candidates in the state. The, the demographics of the state have changed with lots of incoming retirees and transplants who, who lean Republican. You know, those are all the kind of things that uh, wind up being part of the uh, post-election analysis. But uh, you, you're looking at the Democratic Party in Florida. It's not dead, but this, this election will put it at yet another crisis point. And uh, it's a familiar place for the party. But, you know, when Democrats wake up on the morning of November 9th, Florida is going to be a very lonely place for them and uh, maybe lonelier than it has ever been for the party and its supporters. Professor Kennedy with another great history <laughs> lesson on Florida politics. That's why you turn into this podcast, folks. There aren't too many people in all of Florida who understand the history of the this uh, state's politics more than Mr. Kennedy and Mr. Finn. So another, another great one there. Uh, my number is... 947,736. That's how many people already have voted in Florida. We're still 20 days out from the November 8th election, but a significant proportion of the votes already are in. Just over 4.2 million absentee ballots have been uh, requested, and about 22% of them have been returned so far. Our Democrats lead Republicans in the number of absentee ballots returned. That's to be expected. During the pandemic, Florida Democrats made a big push to get their voters signed up for mail ballots amid fears that people might not show up to vote in person because of worries about catching and spreading COVID. So Democrats now have pretty sizable mail adva uh, ballot advantage in Florida. There are nearly 1.5 million Florida Democrats who have requested mail ballots compared to about 1 million uh, Republicans. The GOP makes up for that disadvantage with strong turnout during early voting and especially on election day. So Democrats really need to dominate mail ballot returns to have any chance of winning in Florida. And so far, it's not really domination. Democrats have returned 397,495 mail ballots so far, and Republicans have returned 363,101 mail ballots. That's just a 34,000 uh, mail ballot advantage for Democrats, which really isn't great. It's way too early to start drawing conclusions from these numbers. There's still plenty of time for Democrats to boost their mail ballot return margin over the GOP but it's just another example of how Democrats seem to be a step behind these days. That wraps up another episode of Inside Florida Politics. I want to thank our audio production guru, Thomas Cordy, and thanks to all of you for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with our last pre-election podcast, so tune in then. Until then, we're out of here. Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. 
From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.